Welcome to this very special season of Delving Into Dance. This season, Ancestors and Anecdotes is a partnership with Ozdance Victoria, exploring the perspectives of some of Australia's female dance pioneers. This season forms the auditory component of the exhibition titled Ancestors and Anecdotes, opening concurrently with the 2017 Australian Dance Awards. This exhibition pays homage to the invaluable work of Australia's dance pioneers and the manner in which their legacy endures today. The focus is on five legendary dance pioneers, Cheryl Stock, Margaret Lassica through the perspective of her daughter Shelley, Elizabeth Cameron Dullman, Carol Johnson and Shirley McKechnie. This episode explores anecdotes of Carol Johnson, instrumental in establishing the world-renowned Bangara Dance Theatre. Interviewed by Jonathan Homsey, this interview embarks on an alienated journey of stories and mementos from Carol's artistic practice. This interview starts with a question about her first trip to Australia. Um, thank you so much for meeting us, Carol. It is literally completely um, my privilege and our privilege with Dance to get to speak with you. Um, I would just like to start with the first time you got to come over to Australia with Elio. Uh, that was in that was in 1972, and as I'm doing a little bit of research now, it looks like the 70s were was a big turnaround for everything, including contemporary dance. Yes, it really but, was uh, <clears throat> because the. Uh, uh, the Ted Embassy had been put up by the Aboriginal people, and that's the first thing I remember seeing on television when I turned on the news in the hotel. Uh, we got here, in, as I said, in 72, went to Adelaide, and what happened with Elio is uh, we performed there, but we didn't perform at the theater that they provided for us. Uh, we, provi- we sort of went on strike, and that caused a big hoo-ha, and it was really, really, really fun. Uh, a shame in in a way because in the end they kind of blackballed Elio, but Elio and uh, and Elise Dahlman uh, had had formed a company in in uh, Germany. They had uh, he had met up with her at the uh, Volkswagenschule uh, there, and uh, they left and started because Elio was very strong in his ideas. And was very it was very much the mentor to to Liz Dahlman. They left about 1963 from Germ- from Europe, and uh, Liz went to form the Adelaide uh, Dance Theater, which she formed, and Elio reformed his company, and I became part of that first uh, reformed company. And the thing about Elio was was the content was very important in his works. So in bringing Liz, uh, he Liz during the period that I was working with him, he Liz came back and forth a couple of times to get works and to be reinvigorated and to bring material to Australia. And then finally, she uh, was able to uh, bring the company to the Adelaide Arts Festival. And Don Dunstan was the uh, premier at the time. So it was very, very, very exciting period that way as well. Uh, Elio knew what it was an exciting era and it was an interesting era because the Vietnam War was still on. So he brought a work 
uh, dealing with the Vietnam War. He brought he knew about the Aboriginal and uh, colonial situation. So he uh, created a piece uh, specifically about that, except that he, he used Native American and American and and. Uh, and the American colonists, because the situation is is so very similar, but he was had in mind the uh, background of Australia. Then, of course, he had Blues for the Jungle, which is an overview of uh, the historical uh, journey of American African Americans. So, what was Africans the what was the work America. called for our younger mm-hmm. for our younger listeners? What was the work called that Elio brought? Do you remember the title? Uh, uh, I probably need to look them up. I thought over here was the uh, work it, that related to the uh, the uh, the uh, the uh, colonial situation. Uh, Blues for the jungle. I knew because we did so much. Uh, the Vietnam piece, I don't remember. Now, what I have, and I can look back on it later for you, is uh, is some of the reviews that were done at the time. In fact, I could send send you that because I have them online, you know, copies of them. And the reviews that we got were all quite very favorable and exciting, particularly from young people. And uh, the reviews... Uh, uh, yeah, they were all very exciting and very interesting. However, it was also it was it was kind of a shock to the system because the the works were so socially relevant, mm. but and they and we had good audiences the whole the whole way through. The other thing that we did do, and we knew we were going to do it because we always did it in America, was we knew we were going to meet up with uh, Aboriginal people. And what one of the things that was interesting that happened that there was a colored South African, Pakout Stone, who was working with Pitjantjara people in art. He was an artist, and he found he found us. He brought uh, was bringing the group in, and he found us, and he's the one who introduced us to the uh, urban Aboriginal people. And the Elizabethan Theatre Trust then made to Elio asked, and then made tickets available. And we also did a workshop, an unscheduled workshop, an unplanned workshop, not by the, uh, you know, the structure that brought us, with uh, the Aboriginal community in uh, in Adelaide. And going to Sydney, Buckow went with us then to Sydney and introduced us to Jenny Isaacs. And she made sure that the urban Aboriginal people uh, saw, were were able to see the concert in uh, in Sydney. So we saw so a number of black activists uh, saw the concert, and it was probably the first time. Well, it was the first time anybody had seen works that Elio did. But the interesting thing was, is that he uh, they spoke directly to him, mm. and at that period, uh, Aboriginal people were definitely identifying as black, not not African, but they were identifying as black as black people, and they had. Uh, of course, the activists had had read and had uh, read up on you know Malcolm X, Mar- Marcus Garvey, all sorts of all sorts of uh, influence had been coming. I am now learning since uh, the early 1900s, actually, from uh, from work that uh, African Americans had been doing that early in terms of their position, because. Uh, 
here in Australia, you have the issue of land, which is very much a Native American thing, because the Africans, of course, were brought from another land. But then the whole issue of being an oppressed and a repressed people, housing, schooling, education, uh, all, all of those issues, the poverty, uh, the inability to have get employment and get the kind of training. That's that's all quite quite similar uh, to to a certain degree to uh, with the American situation. It's similar to the majority, although there's mm. that other other group of people who who did have education and and they're the ones that pull people along, of course. I believe. So as a, was, oh, sorry to interrupt you. Um, I believe it probably as a young African American woman at the time coming to Australia in the seventies and seeing that. How did it make you feel? Kind of seeing the situation here. Because it would have, for me, I believed it would have felt almost like a time machine. We would have just gone through the civil rights movement. We would, I mean, we were, there was liberation, quote unquote, happening in America. And you come to Australia and there were all these issues very much at the forefront that weren't necessarily, you know, being dealt with. Well, I, in some ways, I wasn't aware that they weren't, I mean, it seemed like they were being dealt with at, at the beginning. It was exciting because. What the uh, it was very exciting to me meeting especially the Aboriginal people because they were doing they were doing something and the embassy was very very important to them and it seemed to have struck a chord with uh, the particularly the press so that uh, keeping it alive became very much an issue when I got there meeting Jenny Isaacs who was working. For the Australia Council, what's now the Australia Council in the Aboriginal Arts Division, she was also very she was very in tune with Aboriginal people because she was the Aboriginal officer making using art as uh, a way to uh, improve the situation, say in communities and doing. It seemed really strange, revolutionary work in terms of uh, having a group of artists come in and do painting with a, a group of people. But then the uh, uh, managers of the community didn't necessarily want these people up there to sort of opening the minds of the people. As a result of meeting Jenny through uh, Bacal, uh, I got a grant to stay. I had planned to stay because I was only doing, I did most of Elio's um, solo work and was a principal in his company. But I told him that I had wanted, what I wanted to do was uh, uh, not go back and tour with him on the American leg of the tour, but I wanted to go into Southeast Asia. I had just had a trip to Africa visiting Senegal, Ghana, and Sierra Leone. And the whole idea of how colonialism affected people became was of interest to me, the whole political situation. So I was interested in Southeast Asia and and didn't expect to find uh, the situation in Australia, uh, which was also <laughs> so similar. So I was so... I got the grant to stay and to work among Aboriginal people, and, and I thought I was going to travel around, which I did travel around and see some of the conditions uh, that were here. But then I also began to work with the activists in Redfern, and I set up. That's when I set up the uh, the dance workshop. 
And there was nothing in drama. I have to say that and keep reiterating it. And the dance people are going to have to say, say it because from my point of view and my observations, there was drama. There was drama happening in Melbourne uh, because I went down and saw Jack Charles and Bob Mazza. But there was no black theater. Black theater did not bring the, uh, the dance in. The dance brought black theater and it's always said said the reverse which and is so interesting because usually theater is the first thing that's funded not dance so what um what a strange twist of uh progression well the thing that was i think is interesting i was funded as a person as a dancer uh they had people had done some bits of plays but the continuity and the stick to itness I, I'll have to say, and uh, was really through the dance and maybe a lot through my initiative, uh, through Paul Coe and uh, 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 Euphemia Bostock. I met they uh, they sort of helped to spearhead and keep the uh, the dance group going. I, we we did one workshop. And I had loads and loads of people, and nobody expected anybody to do anything. But we got about, I don't know, maybe 10, 5 or 6 or 10 up actually moving, which I expected to move because people thought I wouldn't get anybody up moving. But we got about 10, maybe 10, 15 maximum moving. But you had about 40 sitting around looking at what, what we were doing. The ones who participated, though, wanted more, and they said, asked, could it continue? So then what happened is I continued and did two days a week with uh, Lester Bostock, uh, who later on Matt was became the manager of uh, the uh, dance company, uh, the Torres Strait Island Dance Company in Brisbane. But he offered to, he had a car, and having a car was really important because he could pick up people to come to Redfern because the people who wanted to come were in, in suburbs that might have taken a half hour, 40 minutes to if you had to walk to get to the central location where the workshop was going to be. So that, so by offering that, we had the workshop happening two days, two days a week. Now this was happening, the other thing that was happening in the period was the union was quite, the union movement was strong and they were in the process of organizing a uh, march. Um, it was going to be a mass march and I think it was to take place in each of the capitals uh sometime uh just uh just at the end of june or the very beginning of july i'd have to go i want to get all this very very straight in my mind uh and and really uh uh so people understand but this uh this march actually happened uh, and and so there was a lot of organizing going at the same time that I was uh, was doing the workshops and going around and, and seeing what was happening in one in the different communities. Like I remember going to say, for instance, Maurie, and the, with Jenny Isaac, she was going to visit to uh, look at some uh, at uh, visual arts or crafts ladies. And there was an old school building there that they didn't use anymore. Now, you know, Maurie was the area where, where Charles Perkins had the, the, the march, the uh, Freedom Ride march, and, and had opened up the 
the uh, pool, the swimming, the pools that were there, the health health spas and the swimming. So uh, we went there, and this uh, and the, the the school was no longer in use. It had uh, had the women said, "Well, we marched our children, or we did something, and we made sure our children got into the regular school, so that the school on the mission." was no longer in use. And it was so funny to, to me to hear, to hear these women talking about all the things they did to make things better for their children, yet they say, we don't like those black power people, we don't want to have anything to do with that black power. The other thing that I saw, and I wish I had taken a picture, is on the blackboard at one of, at one of the schools, there was something about talking about Aboriginal people as savages. And, and the uh, I think the nurses uh, that were that were with us or the white white uh, officials that were with us just said and uh, said they didn't understand why the children were sort of destroying the school and I thought after seeing what was left over on the blackboard of a school that was no longer used I well I can see the school wasn't wasn't something that they thought that they should honor. Anyway, I, I, I went around and got to see places like that, as well as I was working with going to the medical service in Redfern and legal service. That's where everybody met, and by everybody, I'm talking about the black, the activists, people such as Paul Coe, Gary Foley, uh, uh, Billy Craigie, Tony Corey, uh, Williams, uh, the the guy the the guys were very strong and then the, and then there were the women Isabel Coe, uh, Norma, and Pam Ingram and other people like that and they they would gather to work out uh, what they were going to do in terms of uh, various kinds of organizing and and they worked very much trying to help the people Paul Coe took me around to see uh, I remember. Uh, I can't remember it now. the the church in uh, uh, the church in King's Cross where they did did programs. Uh, uh, the name has slipped my memory now. It's I can't imagine. Memory. I can't imagine a church in King's Cross in the same sentence. <laughs> um. Well, it, it's uh, it, it, you would you would you would know it. And I t- went around to with Paul Coe to some of the organizing meetings that he had because they they were working really towards this big march that I was t- telling you about, and they were also working towards the idea of NADOC Day had been a day of celebration, usually, where they had balls and things like that. But they also wanted to have a march for, Na- for NADOC Day. So they were in the process of getting the, uh, uh, trying to raise funds for the people to, in Canberra, because it was pretty cold by this time. Oh, yes. In, in April, May, June, June there. Uh, so so that so that was the kind of work and it was very exciting and it was very very stimulating meanwhile i had visited uh bob mazza and uh jack charles or jack in melbourne where they had just put on uh, the cherry pickers and they had done a done a play and uh, uh i came back and a few weeks later i got a call and it seemed like Jack Charles and Bob Mazza were were separating. Bob Bob wanted to move up. He Bob was a bit at that time was a bit more po- politically motivated than uh, Jack Charles, and he thought theater should 
should have uh, have much more uh, be much more relevant. He had he had been one of the team that had gone to uh, the U.S. in 1970. There was a big conference, and I have to get the I don't have the name straight, but there was a big black theater conference uh, organized by Imamu Baraka. Who, Leroy Jones, and it was uh, theater, visual arts, music, dance wasn't uh, included. And that conference to me is very pivotal for two reasons. One, because the Aboriginal team came, and the team included Bob Mazza, Jack Davis on the theater side, and then uh, on the social social side was uh, Bruce McGinnis and uh, Bob Belair. Uh, and Saul Belair, I think, not Bob Belair. Bob Belair was the uh, lawyer, <laughs> is the lawyer. Saul, his brother, was the one who went, was a political act, was more active politically, in direct, direct political action. Uh, and then uh, uh, Carol, Patsy Carroll uh, also, also went. So they were the five that went, and out of that, you you well, maybe young people won't know, but Jack Davis was very became a very important playwright in the, for the early years. Bob Mazza is the one when he came when he separated from Jack Charles, he uh, set up the Black Theater in uh, in Sydney. And it was the dancers were already functioning because to dance we have to go you know every day every day every day or twice a week as it was to uh, do things so we were so the dance was uh, there the dance was a was a stable group that that was functioning and and we met they met uh, Bob Mazza uh, Paul Co brought brought Bob Mazza. Uh, to his house and we all met at his house. I had had some conversations with Bob on the telephone, so I knew he was coming. And Bob explained his idea of what black theater was and what it what it could do. And, and he thought of it mostly in terms of street theater at that time. So he asked the dancers, would they would they participate? And they were very excited to try to do it. And so they they went off and they did it. And I remember we, I came back, I think it was the next day or two days later, they went to a big shopping center to do uh, something. I didn't go to the, I didn't watch them or go to the, that particular event with them, but they came back exhilarated from the experience because it was evidently very confrontation, confrontational what they did. Uh, to uh, to the people in in the street, so that that's really the very beginning of black theater, uh, with the Bob coming, meeting with the group of people that I can't call them dancers because they're not they're just people who are learning learning, but who were interested in dance and theater drama theater and participated. So after, from that point on. We were trying to help Bob organize and develop, find place for the theater, and the dance kept going. Meanwhile, we had the march, and they did black theater-type events in at the, that particular march. About four or five days later, after this big union march, maybe a week later, uh, the government decides to tear down the embassy, the 10 embassy in Canberra. 
and it's a very violent confrontation. It's the I think it's the and it's shown on television. See, television by this time is coming, and so it's the first time that the whole country can see uh, how the violent the violent uh, connection, you know, the violent interaction with the police. I was at the medical legal service. I think they were in the same building, medical being downstairs and legal being upstairs, when I can remember Bobby Sykes coming in and saying, that, turn on the television, turn on the television. The, uh, they've torn down the embassy. We're going to go down and put it back up on the weekend. So this was in the middle of the week, and they were going down. Then we organized and went down, and it was uh, put up. And that meanwhile, the activists, People who are organizing people uh, are are organizing because they know that and talking and meeting with with uh, various people in government and everything and they know it's not going to be stay up. So the following week there's going to be another big march. The first the first march that we went to was small and, and at that period not too many aboriginal you wouldn't get very many aboriginal people so there would it was very small with the support of uh, students mostly university students and other people who supported the aboriginal uh community but they put got it put up but they were knew they were going to have the following week a very very big uh big march with people who were coming then from all the way from uh cairns Townsville, all the way down, all the different states, cities for, through Queensland, and then you had people coming up from as far as Adelaide and Melbourne and all, and over from Western Australia. So you had quite a large group of both Aboriginal people and and all their supporters. So that one was about a, a couple of thousand. And the uh, the week before, the organizers asked me, could the dance group do something, perform? At, for the demonstration. So I said, yes, we'll try to put something together. So that's the beginning to me of of dance being very relevant for uh, uh, for, for in the urban situation. You know, before it had been very strong ritually and uh, for ceremony and everything like that, but the urban people didn't have anything. Did we any put of together those dancers, some- um, sorry, did any of those dancers become members of AIDT or ended up coming to the school. Yeah, yeah, because that that uh, Wayne Nickel and there are two people that I think need to be known and need to be be. Well, she wasn't part of Wayne Nickel. Uh, he helped. That's one of the reasons the school got started. The other person who should be known because she did so much. Uh, she didn't become a dancer. She was mature age, but was Euphemia Bostock. And she performed there. She would she would have been about thirty eight, thirty nine, forty at the at that at that time. But she was really strong coordinating. She's the one that made sure it happened that the, that the workshop continued after I left and got me to come back and found Lucy Jemawan and everything like that. Wayne Nickel was a visual, actually a visual arts student at East <coughs> Sydney Tech. Uh, but then because of the dance, he switched his interest. And uh, when we eventually, because this is 1972, we're still talking about. We haven't gotten any. Have <laughs> <laughs> we gotten? Have we gotten far yet? It's not until 1976 that we set up uh, what was to become NASDA, uh, so that uh, 
uh, he was he was participating through black through the organization of black theater and everything. But he finished the dance course. He joined up with uh, uh, Kei Tai Chan, One Extra Dance Company. So he's quite important. He also created a work for three men, which would be like in the fusion, like the style that you see with Bengara and think of as Bengara uh, doing it. But that's a style that's sort of evolved from the very beginnings of us doing, you know, the combination of the uh, contemporary dance plus traditional dance that started from the very beginning in 1972 and was added to. I guess this thing is coming. I guess you can edit that. <laughs> yeah, that's all good. Um, you were saying, like, as a dance educator, so you get into you get into Red Fern. You're sitting with. You're going to be with the dancers. How do you get them to start moving? Do you remember the exercises or how did you even begin teach, teaching technique? Oh, well, the thing is, you go backwards. You start teaching uh, dances. And that's what I had to do because uh, uh, people would arrive late. It was interesting. So, you, you know, you, I used uh, music, you know, popular music of the day. People danced and they loved to move. And also you start at beginning to uh, teach a dance, you know, you teach them a, a dance. And then how do you do the dance? And and then you give them the technical kinds of things, te- technical information they need. And at the end of the class, I usually ended with ex- with uh, the kind of warm up exercises that you would uh, begin a class with. Well, that's how I ended it. So I just kind of reverse reversed it uh, so that everybody would get the technique and they would get er- there early. They wouldn't hang back because doing exercises is boring. To a certain extent, <laughs> we both have empathy for that. <laughs> and then I was able to introduce. I used uh, at that time you didn't have tapes and DVDs. I I got a little uh, record. You could have a record portable record player, and they had some uh, 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 anthropological or ethnographic uh, recordings of traditional dance. I mean, traditional music singing. So I would use the, sometimes I would use that music just because to, for the beat, which wasn't mm. very, so that they would get used to hearing the so- song and the beat, which they didn't always pick up on. They could pick up on the uh, uh, contemporary music, which they danced to all the time, but they didn't have a feeling. And I remember uh brought uh, an elder from uh, Yakala who because he worked she worked with a lot of uh people uh cultural owners to come to the and he came to the class and and saw me and i using this music at one time and uh jenny told me he was quite taken aback by it because he recognized his father his the songs i just happened to use songs from his area and his father was singing or playing the didgeridoo or on on it and that was kind a bit of a shock and i said well was it okay and he said yes it was okay but uh he he just was surprised so i thought thought that was an interesting thing thing to happen i mean we discussed Uh, 1972 and we just and we slowly started discussing 1976 but i would love to discuss your time with sydney theater company in 1974 if any memories come to the forefront of your mind 
Sydney Theater Company, Adelaide Dance Theater. I think I, I, when I read um, when I read your biography online, I will I will quote it uh, verbatim just so I don't. Um, but there's a work that I really um, was looking at when I saw in your National Library of Australia that you got to work um, in a work in 1974. Um, sorry, the internet just a bit. With Ben Ben along because I came back and forth and then you came back. To you came back Aboriginal. As, yeah. It was the Sydney Theatre Company. The work was called Cradle of Hercules. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I remember. I remember that uh, really strongly because they got David Gupolo. Uh I think Jack Charles was in it. Uh, I'm not sure if he was the uh, other Aboriginal player to play uh, Ben Along. Then they got some other people from uh, from uh, from Black Theatre, or Black Theatre organized some other Aboriginal people to play to play Aboriginal. People and in the uh, in that uh, playing, that was where I really met. I met David Gopolo, and we worked together on a burial scene. I had to work on a minuet, I think, for uh, for the to do something to portray the uh, colonists. I don't think they ended up using the the minuet. And, but uh, I had to actually work on it, and David is the one who gave me the uh, gave me many ideas and the thoughts about traditional dance and how how a burial would be and how I could how I could set the movements uh, for for that. And because he, the thing that I, was important to me though, he he gave me so much, and I can remember in America you have uh, uh, white choreographers coming in to do, uh, say, a Broadway, a couple of Broadway shows. But the people who really choreographed it were the African, the black American dancers, not the white one. (laughs) (laughs) But they never got, they didn't get the credit usually. And and the dance wouldn't have happened. Couldn't have, couldn't, the dance that they were asking for couldn't have happened if the black people hadn't done it. Uh, So in my case, I thought, well, uh, David was a dancer, but he was really an assistant choreographer because he did show me lots of moves. He showed and and, and sort of the way the things I listened to him about how it should be done and 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 to try to pay uh, attention to that. So I just said he should be called assistant choreographer. I really need to go back to the to the uh, notes because I don't know if it was all put in. I think they did put him in as assistant choreographer, but I think I saw in line, I think neither myself nor David might have been mentioned as a dancer were there as choreographer, but we were definitely there working, functioning. And then, of course, I had to uh, teach the the urban Aboriginal people the moves and what to do and how how to do whatever because the burial scene uh, was an uh, important, uh, important part of it. But the, I guess it was a beginning play. The play wasn't all that successful, Ben Along, I don't think. But, uh, but it was a beginning. I think it was, it was a beginning, beginning of you helping to facilitate politically activated work, um, such as this. Mm. 
Because obviously when you came with Alia, um, Alia, I always pronounce his name incorrectly. I'm sorry. Elio. Uh, Elio. Um, the work is very politically activated. And from you coming with politically activated art from the United States, you're now facilitating and contributing to Australian politically activated art. Um, you must have felt such a cycle of satisfaction only just, a, you know, two years later from your first visit, you know, seeing and shaping, you know, the the scene here really shaping the ecology here. Speaking of shaping the ecology, let's go to 1976 um, and the beginnings of NASDA. Um, that must have been such a satisfying time for you and having those many students um, what was it like in those form? I mean, it's, it's such a loaded question. What was it like in those first years with NASA? I mean, it's like a kind of a Pandora's box, really. But you must. Yeah, well, it was really exciting because we had, for, if I go just back a little bit, there's a six weeks course in 75, June 75, which did dance and drama. Uh, theater wasn't really operating that, that much at that time. Uh, but the black theater, the black theater w- was, uh, but we were at black, we were at the building black theater, but there was no functioning theater, but the work that 76 week course kind of galvanized everybody and people came from all over. There were about 28, 27, 28 people who came, uh, from, uh, Queensland, Victoria, South Australia, Western Australia, and New South Wales. And it's from that, that the people who wanted to specialize in dance uh, perform, you know, perform. We did the classes, every, everything. Everybody did did dance. Everybody did drama. But you could specialize. And then at, there's the film Sunrise Awakening that gives you a, a really feeling of that end. And there were about six people. Wayne Nickel, again, was part of it. And then another person who's very important in this whole whole story is Cheryl Stone. And she was uh, Bachau's brother, uh, sister. And uh, was from, born in South Africa, emigra- emigrated here, came back. And then from the time she came uh, over to Sydney from Western Australia, uh, she uh, participated with the dance very much as a student because she hadn't had training and then eventually went on to uh, actually manage. And she was instrumental in making sure that, Emb- that the Bangara Dance Theatre uh, stayed in existence and could function because she did a lot of the administrative work. She had had, had you know, she had finished high school and had had training that most of the Aboriginal people didn't have uh, underpinning them, the academic kind of thing. So she was able to do bookkeeping and, and help out in that way to earn her keep because she couldn't get the Aboriginal study grants. Uh, so I, we have uh, Wayne Nichol, Cheryl Stone, Dorothy Randall was uh, part in that 1975 uh, work six week workshop, and Lillian Crombie, who you know from from movies now, uh, she was at the last big movie. I guess she was the mother in uh, Australia. Uh, that that big movie with Nicole Nicole yep. Kidman. Uh, so, uh, so, so we had people like that who wanted to, to, uh, part, who, who really wanted to dance. And, and Lillian was, was dancing with, uh, Margaret Walker and that's Kim Walker's mother, adopted mother. (laughs) And she had dance concerts and, uh, Mrs. Walker brought, uh, 
brought uh, Lillian up to participate in in the workshop. And we had uh, a tr uh, people from Mornington Island who wanted to dance were were part of that workshop. And after it happened, the consensus was six weeks you can't become an actor or a dancer professionally. That's the so I was prepared to stay on, and we set up a three-week, a three-month course in October, which uh, comprised most of the people. And Michael Leslie was then added. He was from Moree. I think he had been trying to do some dancing at Bodenweiser. He hadn't uh, uh, yet met up with the. Uh, he only met up with us at, when we formed the uh, course that happened in October to December. Mm -hmm that we did, and then we did a little tour going into Maury, into his hometown and everything, and uh, picked up some other people, and, and then uh, uh, January, February became the start of the very first, the first year with with him and other other people. And everybody, it, it was exciting because we were, just, we, we danced all day, and Gradually, as I saw what was needed in terms of music and then other things, we gradually we it, the course evolved over the years organically to meet the needs of uh, the people who were going and wanting to become professional. We created dances. We react. We interacted immediately with community, and it was a time. It was a time where uh, many say many community festivals of other other nationality groups would be perform would be developing their festivals and and they would want interaction with uh, aboriginal people but until uh, the dance course got started and was there there was no way to do no way for uh, aboriginal people to interact on a on a community level or artistic community mm. community artistic level so that uh, we participated in many, many festivals. Uh, when we did, we produced a show. Lucy, Lucy had been working. Lucy Jemawan was working with Margaret Walker, and Lucy Jemawan also resuscitated the 1972 workshop because Femi, again, Femi Bostock is the key who brought her in. But then uh, she became the uh, second teacher for the course in 1976. So by about June, July, uh, Lucy came in. And then we did our first production, maybe around, a big production around September, October at the Opera House, the little thing called Forward to the Dreaming, where we used the poetry that we found in Identity Magazine and other magazines. We used poetry as bridges and the works that we created. Uh, we performed that, and uh, we performed it both at the Opera House out of doors and at the, uh, then we had a season at Black Theater. But people saw us in the schools, so that year we did our first uh, uh, school show. And we, it's interesting, we never got official recognition and permission to do school shows. You had to go through things, and we never got, we never got official approval until maybe almost 1988 if we got oh. it or 19, <laughs> 1987 but we were performing and asked to perform all of the time and and they would raise and they would raise the money and that we that we requested and 
the money actually was used to help fund the course. We, but what we did with the money that we raised from doing performances over the years, and the performances mm. got better and better as far as the school was concerned, is that uh, uh, we just sit down and say, well, what do we need? now say it might have been a fridge for the thing or a bookcase or whatever and so the money that we got for the uh for the uh for the performances always went to uh help build the, the infrastructure yes <laughs> of course because we didn't get enough money we were always i was always looking for money for teachers and for this and for that and the other thing and so they were actually helping to make it happen so they didn't get the dancers didn't get paid but they knew where the money was going Mm. and how it was how it was being used and cheryl was a mainstay in that and she really organized the bookings because we by by 19 say 1976 1989 i mean we had a full performance season going and the thing that i the thing that was bothering me or it wasn't bothering me to a certain extent was the fact that to to some extent we had to use people i wanted to try to get it so that we don't use first year people when they come in we don't use second year people we don't we have to build and build and that was what the whole idea is to build so that the people understand that they're not dancers when they come in it takes a long time for the skill to develop uh so that that they have to train and then uh, gradually get in, into the performances. Although they always, we always included a uh, performance for, uh, in the traditional dance. And at the end of year show, they, they would be, the students would be working towards it. But it did bother me in those first two, first couple of years that we had to, to use uh, people before they were actually ready. Or I thought, but but it was very important, and it made it made it exciting. Uh, the da- I I think usually in terms of choreography, and when you're looking at uh, the development of dance, the development of NASD was very important artistically in uh, in the overall scheme of of developing contemporary dance and creative dance, and it needs to be be focused that way. Mostly people look at dances of companies but we have to look at the dances that were being created initially on the dancers i feel it's really important on the or or on the students because it's an interactive uh uh, process between the teacher and the students and the students would bring out the creativity of the of, of the teachers because initially say for the first 10 virtually for almost the first 10 years we're putting uh established choreographers and teachers are putting works onto the students the other thing that's interesting and and the uh, cultural traditional cultural owners are also putting knowledge and dance knowledge into urban students so the urban students for the most part have the contemporary dance they have a way of moving that's very easy and very fluid and 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 they're very quick but as far as the skills of either traditional Aboriginal or Torres Strait Island dance and the skills of contemporary uh, dance and the ballet, they didn't have. So this is being put in, in, two, in two, on, on two sides or on three sides or, or into these people, which I knew then these people will then become the creators 
that will mix and do whatever is necessary to create the, uh, their own own style of dance, which is what has happened over over the years. And uh, the majority, so so that so that to me is has been very exciting, and it's the way the whole creative process has evolved. And I think teachers like uh, and the works that Lucy Jemawan especially created. Paul Saliba created uh, uh, on the students. Uh, Chrissy Coltai did another kind of dance. They should be as important as choreographers as Graham Murphy and, and the other people because it's it's through them and their interaction with uh, with the cultural owners and the students <coughs> that <coughs> this style has evolved. Mm. <coughs> And people tend not to look at schools, but in her case, Nasda is very important. I'm sorry. No, it's okay. <coughs> Can I go get some water? No, of course. I ain't going anywhere. This woman is the She was American, and the Australian government paid for her to come, and she formed schools. And all of the funding programs, and she's um, equivalent of order, equivalent of a lady. Uh, I, I had I've caught a cold last week and my throat has been bothering me. It's much better now. Yeah, so you were saying you're in a bit of a funk. I'm happy you're feeling a bit better. Hmm. Well, you're here. You're here in one piece. Um, well, so- yesterday my voice was squeaking. So I'm, I'm, it's be- it's good. We, we couldn't have done... Well, it's better we tried not to do the thing on Monday because my voice was really kind of not there. <laughs> well, the universe is on our side. We were meant to meet today. So speaking of of students and particular memories. We were speaking of Margaret Walker. Is there a particular memory that comes to mind when you saw Kim Walker as a young and started dancing and going, I know he's going to be really special? Uh, it's not when he was dancing, actually, because the, the people who dance, Kim Walker's, uh, Kim Walker, Wayne and Michael, Richard Talonga were special, so that 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 was no <clears throat> no question. But what after he he had left the school and danced, uh, uh, he he came back and managed one of our auditions, which is uh, we ha- ran a week course for auditions uh, to audition students to come in to make sure that so that they would have a better idea of what the dance would be like and what the kinds of things that they would have to do in the process because most of the people were coming with no knowledge of dance. Well, he did such a fantastic job in terms of managing this audition that I thought, ah, he's a person who could actually run the place. And it's interesting. It was him. And then there's another lady, uh, uh, Robin Forrester, who went a different track. She didn't go dance, but there were two people that I thought maybe could take over that nice, and they tried all sorts of people. And one one of them was him. 
And now here uh, we are. And, I think, <laughs> and, now, and now he is. <clears throat> and I think it's a blessing because his his mother was on was was one of the members of our board and and she just uh, she begged i can remember sitting uh, and saying you know i've got this son and i think he should come you know he's adopted i'm not sure at that point where he's from and all that but can he join the course and so he was accepted into the course course and and uh and he flew from from there i mean he, he was great yeah <laughs> um, speaking of um, speaking of, a, there's a, two more people I really love to touch on. Is um, do you have a moment that springs to mind when you think of Marilyn Miller? Uh, I can not to talk about so much. I can see her very much because I knew her mother and was really friendly mm-hmm. with her mother, and didn't and her mother again another mother telling me that her daughter was uh, interested in dance. And she actually had, she came in, she's one of the few students that came in with training so that she came, when she came in, she came in uh, and joined the the group that uh, was very special. By about 19, she came in 1985. 1984, a group came in that was really special, Stephen came in around about 1983, but there was only a couple. But we all of a sudden, by about 1984, you get along a group that really want to dance. And uh, that included Gary Lang, uh, who has the company in in, his, in uh, Northern Ter- yes. Territory, <clears throat> I think. Uh I'd have to go through the list, but it was it was fantastic. Finally, we could start getting people who want to dance and who are really in there. And then they moved to the second year, and then Marilyn joins that group. But Bernadette Russell and uh, uh, Matthew Doyle and Graham Blanco form come just after them. So you have you're beginning to have people coming in and then I think after that Christina knew because she was a dancer mm. came maybe and, and other people start coming so so by about 1984 we're beginning to get people in who are really wanting to dance and so Marilyn comes in with with prior knowledge and is and fits fits right in to to everything and bring and it becomes part of the by by the third year becomes part of the performing group doing uh doing all the uh the works that are necessary she then uh uh, uh 1988 I'm, I'm jumping from it's all good from our beginnings to 1988 because 1988 was when we did the big big tour uh, it was also the bicentennial and that was kind of uh it was important for us because by this time we we're beginning to say we want to form a company, of course, and she's she's all part of that. That we've got we've got enough dancers. The thing is, we didn't have enough dancers. People were saying in 1980 you've got to form a company, but a company takes money, it takes knowledge to administer, plus you, it takes choreography. You know, it has to you have to have a body of works. It takes choreography and it takes a body of people, and uh, in America. You have you had when I was coming on. You had black companies where there might be one or two dancers, but the leader was always a black person. 
<clears throat> but in it, by in 1988 Australia, it, it's different. You have other people <laughs> putting works on to <laughs> Aboriginal people mostly. You don't have works evolving from them uh, to the same extent. So you have to have all Aboriginal dancers, at least, if you're going to have an Aboriginal company. So by by 1988, we do have enough <coughs> people and a backlog of people that are going to come and are going to continue coming. Mm. Um and she's and she's part of that. In fact, we had enough because uh, we have Bengara, and then uh, oh, we have the group that forms Bengara, which she doesn't do, but she goes on the tours and everything with us. And then I think she's starting to think what she wants to do, <clears throat> and uh, she joins uh, after we sort of separate a few years later. AIDT mm. reforms. As as a professional company, as well, and and she's very strong in that. I think she she's begin she is also beginning to organize. Shucks, this tickle. She's beginning to organize various projects and and make and make contacts, which is exciting. So that she, uh, she's had a, a good, ex, you know, good experiences. She went to do, I think she went to do a business course mm. as well. Is there a particular work from AIDT that you hold close to your heart? Oh, I'm going to say, uh, yes, there are a lot. <clears throat> One that I think is important, though, because AIDT, and NASDA probably wouldn't have happened if it hadn't been for the work that I, and I only did one really, <clears throat> was the embassy, mm-hmm. which I patterned after Elio Pomare's uh, Blues for the Jungle, where you trace from uh, from your cultural cultural origins all the way to the contemporary, which in, in my, in the case was the uh, destruction of the 10 embassy. I think that was very important in showing Aboriginal people the uh, the that dance could be used to communicate issues and communicate stories uh, uh, that had relevance to them. And I think that was the work that really, really enabled uh, it. It was the model and set set the direction for the for the school and later for, <clears throat> for the company. Uh, from uh, there was a work, but I don't remember the name name names of it. I think did Paul Sal- Paul Saliba I think did it of three people. We took it on tour. I think it's Paul's work, not Raymond Sawyer. And I don't remember the name of it, but it was a trio, a trio, and Marilyn was in that, and, and she was fantastic. Uh, or, uh, yeah, I don't remember. The, for, unfortunately, I don't remember the name. It's all good. We, I can always ask Marilyn when I'm back in Melbourne. So it's, it's all good. Uh, Cheryl Pitt was in it, but I don't know if she toured with it. <laughs> Russell Page, Bernadette Waylong. 
it, to me, it was about uh, a generation generation gap to a certain extent. Under, but it was a it was a beautiful. Uh, it was one of Paul. I think it's Paul's work, definitely. It was uh, that I liked the most, and we took it on tour. There was a show that we did, which was about uh, which didn't get filmed, unfortunately. It's the only one, but I thought it was one of the best, and that was about sort of the stolen generation or the stealing of generation, where. At, at the thing about the Naster shows or the uh, Naster shows that we did at the end of year, they were very collaborative because it was about uh, uh, the teachers working with the students, and then we develop a theme, a through theme uh, about it, and it seemed like every year uh, uh, an idea would come through, and it was uh, the, it was stealing of the children from the time when you took them. Mm-hmm. Uh, away, or they get get killed through uh, through gun or sport or something like like that. Uh, that one I particularly remember, and well, and was very sorry it never got filmed. We 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 always had a running battle with the choreographers and the uh, and the need to raise the lights and and the need to have the thing done at the at a good time for a certain film run of course because if you know if you do but, it with well, the dark lights the it's film hard to is film. what the film is what lasts and the choreographers and and I and he keeps saying the film is what's going to be the record that's what's going to last we can't call it specially because it doesn't have the students are not professional and they don't generate the uh, enthusiasm if you don't have an audience so we have to you know you have to raise the lights and and make it uh, uh, and make it at a time so if something goes wrong we have another day to film uh, this uh, the other and the choreographers don't want the changes in their lights or anything like this and so it's it's a const it was a constant battle to say but this is your work i mean that really is the work the other thing is is gone uh so that particular show i think something happened and and we were filming the last day and so and something happened to the filming of it and it didn't get filmed so there's no record of that particular show oh speaking of particular shows is there a particular memory you have from steven's first years of bangara like you must have been sitting in that audience or sitting in a studio run of a work when he was first forming his company and your heart must have been so full <laughs> yeah he- <clears throat> Well, he he was he was his main his interest. He came to dance, and it's still it's still really I guess shows. I I haven't seen this last work, which I have to write him and say, hope I can see it in uh, in Brisbane. But he came to to uh, Nasda with an interest in theater and drama, actually, and not dance. But we were very lucky, I think, that he could dance and was really uh, very good. And can uh, could uh, and perform so well, so that uh, just watching him watching him dance and continue. I never I never thought he would become the choreographer that he he did. Not until much later, after he 
did uh, got into the Sydney Dance Company because at that period there wasn't a lot of choreographic development. We were just watching the students as performers, and he was an exciting performer. Uh, there's no doubt about that. I, I'm see the thing is I'm seeing a picture in my mind. And what is that uh, picture? I think, yeah, it's a picture. I think it was a Harold Blair thing that he was doing with, uh, with. Hmm, not sure who the dancer was now. My, uh, I'm not even sure if it, if Cheryl was doing it, but he has. There's a uh, a woman, and there's a thing of cloth, and he's pulling this thing of cloth away from her. I'll see if I can find find the picture. And I'm sure it was, to, we had created, Lucy Gemawan had created some ballets to, uh, to Harold, I asked to Harold Blair songs. He had, Harold Blair's the uh, Aboriginal opera singer of the, I think he did a tour in the 60s, maybe 70s, 60s. <coughs> in uh, in the US but he was known as an opera singer and he had some saw, some traditional songs from his area turned into uh art songs and they sound sort of like German leader that okay. has that kind of feel to it but uh this particular I think that's the dance he was doing I'm not sure but uh I can see him pulling this rope the same way as I can see Marilyn and uh, there's a picture of her and they're doing jazz in this particular one where she's bent very low with her leg outstretched and the arms swung to the side but just the intensity on on her face is uh is is quite striking and so she it's in a, it's a group shot but she's uh stands out very much from it as they're practicing this particular move. and speaking of images i'm just going to go zoom out a bit to the bigger picture and um say about coming from America and you advocated for indigenous dance for, for over 40 years now, how have you seen the narrative of this dance shift over time? Mm. Well, I, I guess it, well, it's shifting into its own style and styles because it starts with uh, traditional dance, which is still very strong, and I think that's very important, and that's always going to be the base. And then you had, at the time, uh, people trying to uh, revise, revitalize, learn about their traditional dance in terms of Aboriginal culture and and people thinking that traditional uh, learning the dance would help to rebuild the community, which it has, but no one had thought in terms of contemporary dance and 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 urban people and the people uh, many of the urban people didn't feel uh, don't feel a relationship to a traditional dance in the way that people growing up in the country do. They wanted to the people that I most of the people I want, met wanted to learn and wanted to learn about it, but they didn't have an inbuilt uh, relationship. And as a couple of the traditional old elders told me, and I have to keep reminding them, they said the reason that we wanted to teach, because the program uh, brought elders from both Torres Strait Island and uh, 
and uh, and the mainland to uh, like Northern Territory, Western Australia, <clears throat> to teach. The reason why we want to teach is we have to give you. We want to give you the models. You you don't have, you not copying our dance, but you, we're giving you the model and the foundation upon which you can build your own dance. And that and that's what has been happening over over the period of time. So it's all it's been about building urban people taking urban people who would have been detached from the cultural ownership and and that continuum learning finding out and really building uh, a variety of techniques because you have as techniques developing with different individuals and different approaches and the dance what people have to also remember is that although the dance that people see that comes out of Bengara is one particular style and one particular approach, that's not the it's not the only approach. Mm. And it's 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 beautiful and it's fantastic, but what the power structures and the people who control money have to remember is that uh, creativity goes in many, many ways and not to try to push people into the box of having to look like Mangara to be Aboriginal mm. and, or uh, Indigenous. That is, that's very true. Um, and I would, I would like to say that imagine, you know, you in 1972, did you imagine that you would have been at the forefront for all this? Forty years later, no. is, this what, is this what you expected after going on a? Oh, I'm with my company with Elio. I'm going to travel, perform in Australia, and then here I am living in Australia. <laughs> no, I didn't expect it, and as I say, I thought, in some ways, I thought more could have happened. Uh, in other ways, I didn't know what it would feel like, and when I look back and and I see, you know, what the fantastic work that people like Stephen, like Marilyn, like uh, Gary Gary Lang, uh, uh, Michael Leslie. Uh, are such lead uh, such role models Bernadette Waylong, who created Vicky Van Hoot, the work uh, they're they're doing Jason Pitt, who isn't dancing right now, but did some interesting work, and there are loads of others coming along. They're just so many people doing so much, and I guess that wasn't expected and. I guess maybe I thought it was would happen faster, but it couldn't happen any faster. It's like uh, that I think through the indigenous contemporary dance, Australia basically is finding a its own unique dance dance form. And Thanks for listening to this special episode. You can find out more at delvingintodance.com where you'll find a list of episode notes and links. You can find Delving Into Dance on Facebook, you can subscribe on iTunes, and you can follow on Twitter. At delvingtodance.com, you can find a range of other wonderful episodes, including with Noel Tovey, Mel Tankard, Gideon Obazanic, Raphael Bonicella, Lucy Guerin, and Sue Healy. Delving Into Dance is a self-funded project profiling the diversity of the dance industry consider donating to support future seasons. This special season was in partnership with Dance Victoria, a critical body for advocating, profiling and promoting dance. 
you can become a member for as little as $33 a year. Head to ozdancevic.org.au today. Until next time, take care.